Good morning, church. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship at Faith Community United Methodist Church. It is good to be in worship with you this morning. I would encourage you to find the attendance pads that are in each of the pews and fill those out, pass them along to those seated with you so that we have a record of your attendance here with us this morning. Welcome as well to those who are worshiping online with us, and uh, I'd encourage you to just drop a comment so that we know that you are here with us as well. The Vacation Bible School is, is gearing up. It's coming up very soon. Just a week from tomorrow is when we start Vacation Bible School. We have lots and lots of kids uh, signed up, both from the church and from the community, and we want to uh, provide a wonderful, welcoming, and inspiring program for them. And uh, to that end, there is a role for everybody to play in that. And so if you haven't already signed up to, to volunteer in some way, there are still some opportunities for you to do something uh, to, to let the children of this community know that they are loved and uh, that there is a, a community here for them that will surround them with grace and with God's teachings. And so I, I just encourage you to be a part of this important Vacation Bible School time. Uh, there's an announcement in your bulletin about Disciple Bible Study. Disciple Bible Study is a 34-week uh, program with daily readings and weekly meetings, and I'm going to be leading that beginning at the end of August. So if that's something that you might be interested in, learning, learning more about the Bible, getting more into the Bible, and really a good overview of the whole thing, uh, I'd encourage you to, uh, there's, my email is there to, to contact me to sign up for that. Uh, it'll be on a weekday evening. We'll try and find an evening that works for everybody that's, that's interested in that. So let me know what your availability is for that. The other announcements are, are in your bulletin. I just encourage you to look over that, keep that with you. Also a reminder that this is Coins for Mission Sunday. The blue buckets are out in the narthex. If you miss those on your way in, then make sure you, you find those on your way out to drop your coins in to support our mission projects. The other announcements are there for you to look over, take with you, keep it for the week so that you know what's going on and a reminder of what's happening. But we are here this morning to worship, and so I invite you to be in an attitude of worship and to stand as you are able for our call to worship. All-inspiring God, we gather together to praise you for your tender compassion and care of needy people. Come, all who seek the Lord God, offer your prayers. Listening God, we gather to revere and honor your supportive concern for people who cry to you for help. Come, all who seek the Lord God, offer your praise. People of every nation are called to gather together to worship God in thankfulness for God's loving mercies. Come, all who seek the Lord God, offer your worship. Amen. And our opening hymn, We Are the Church, can be found in your hymnal on page 558. church you are the church we are the church together 
All who follow Jesus all around the world, yes, we're the church together. The church is not a building, the church is not a steeple, the church is not a resting place, the church is a people. I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. All who follow Jesus all around the world, yes, we're the church together. We're many kinds of people with many kinds of faces, all colors and all ages, too, from all times and places. I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. All who follow Jesus all around the world, yes, we're the church together. Sometimes the church is marching, sometimes it's bravely burning, sometimes it's riding, sometimes hiding, always it's learning. I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. All who follow Jesus all around the world, Yes, we're the church together. And when the people gather, there's singing and there's praying, there's laughing and there's crying, sometimes all of it's saying, I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. All who follow Jesus all around the world, yes, we're the church together. At Pentecost, some people received the Holy Spirit and told the good news through the world to all who would hear it. I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. All who follow Jesus all around the world, yes, we're the church together. Please be seated. Our opening prayer is printed in your bulletin. Almighty, Almighty God, as we gather in this place to worship you, we know that all across the globe, men and women, children and youth, gather as well to be your church in all times, in all places, in all languages, in all cultures. Pour out your Spirit upon your church universal, that all who gather in your name and all, and all who praise who you may feel your presence, know your will, and, and have, have the courage to do what you are calling us to do. We pray in the name of the one God. God. Amen. Amen. And our prayer hymn is It Is Well With My Soul, printed in your bulletin page, or printed in your hymnal, page 377. Mm -hmm. 
peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well. Satan should buffet, though trials should come. Let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the It is well. 
pray. Oh Lord, that is our prayer, that it would be well with our souls. Lord, we sing it. We want it to be true. Sometimes, though, things do come against us. Sometimes those trials and those temptations arise. Sometimes things come up that would distract us from your glory from the promise that you have given to each one of us, from your grace that is at work in us in each moment. And so, Lord, we pray that you will wipe away all those distractions, that you will strengthen us against all those temptations, that you will give us your fortitude for all trials, that in all things, through all circumstances, we can indeed say, it is well with my soul, for you are my Lord my God, my hope, my salvation. You are the one who provides all that I need. You are the one who provides life itself. Lord, thank you for your blessings upon us as individuals, upon us as a congregation. And Lord, we pray that you will continue to bless and strengthen us as we seek to reach out to others with your love, with the message of your grace in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we prepare for our vacation Bible school and welcome in children from all around the community, children who may never have been in a church before, children who may never have heard the truth of the gospel before, Lord, may you work through us to bring your glory to their lives, to bring your truth and salvation. Lord, continue to show us ways that we can serve others in our lives so that they might see and know the truth of you in the ways that, that we live, not just the words that we say, but the love and the grace that we show through all things. Lord, we pray for those loved ones who are going through times and trials right now. We know, Lord, that your grace is upon them. and We thank you for that. And we pray that we will see your glory revealed in them. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. As we offer to you now the prayer that he teaches us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite the ushers to come now to receive the plates as we give our tithes and our offerings to the Lord in worship.
Jesus, God, from whom all blessings flow, praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Please join me in the prayer of dedication. Living God, let the resurrection of your Son transform our lives. Make us bold in serving you and bringing your good news to other people. Help us to share of ourselves and our possessions with one another and especially with people in need. Amen. Please be seated. Our scripture lesson today is from the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. About that time, while the number of disciples continued to increase, a complaint arose. Greek-speaking disciples accused the Aramaic-speaking disciples because their widows were being overlooked in the daily food service. The twelve called a meeting of all the disciples and said, Isn't it right for us to set aside proclamation of God's word in order to serve tables? Brothers and sisters, carefully choose seven well-respected men from among you. They must be well-respected and endowed by the Spirit with exceptional wisdom. They will put them in charge. We will put them in charge of this concern. As for us, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the service of proclaiming the word. This proposal pleased the entire community. They selected Stephen, a man endowed by the Holy Spirit with exceptional faith, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. The community presented these seven to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. God's word continued to grow. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased significantly. Even a large group of priests embraced the faith. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Amen. to walk 
I'm not entirely certain about this, but I think that this chapter in Acts that we're looking at today may very well record the first ever church fight in Christian history. The chapter opens with the words, about that time the number of disciples continued to increase. A complaint arose. A complaint arose in the church. Imagine that. It didn't take very long, did it? The church at this point was, oh, I don't know, maybe a few months old, certainly not more than a year. But I suppose you can't expect a ragtag group of misfits to grow from 120 members to over 5,000 members in a matter of a few months and not expect some growing pains along the way. As is so often the case throughout history, the conflict here is a cultural one. The Jewish world at that time was divided between Jews who were born in and raised in and around Israel, and they spoke the Aramaic language. And there were other Jews who were descendants of the dispersion. They were born and raised in other parts of the world. Diaspora Jews, for the most part, spoke Greek. The Greek-speaking Jews were referred to as Hellenists because over the course of many generations they had accommodated themselves to the Greek or the Hellenist culture. Most of them couldn't even read Hebrew. They read the scriptures in in a Greek translation called the Septuagint. Now these cultural and these language differences sometimes caused tensions between these two groups. 
The early Christians, of course, were all Jewish. Specifically, the earliest disciples of Jesus were all Aramaic-speaking Jews from Israel. But as the movement exploded into thousands of believers, there were naturally many Hellenist Jews who, who became believers in Jesus as well. And even though the Bible says, in Christ Jesus all are made one, it doesn't always feel that way, does it? Tensions between Aramaic Jews and Hellenistic Jews soon found its way into the church so that by chapter 6 of Acts, one group is raising a complaint against the other. The Hellenist Jewish Christians complained that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. One of the qualities that, that characterized the early church is that they shared all of their possessions. They shared all of their food. They took care of the poor and the needy. Especially, they took care of the widows. You see that, you see that mentioned several times in, in Acts chapters 2 through 4, that this taking care of one another was a defining expectation of what it meant to be a member of the church. In fact, in Acts chapter 5, a couple named Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead by the Holy Spirit because they withheld some of their property for themselves and they lied to it about the church leaders. Sharing freely and providing for one another was serious business in the early church. It was foundational to who they were. Well, these recently converted Hellenists believed that the leadership of the church, leadership which at that time were still all the original disciples of Jesus who grew up in Israel and all spoke Aramaic, the Hellenists believed that these church leaders were playing favorites. They were making sure that all the Aramaic-speaking widows were being fed every day, but they were neglecting the needs of the Hellenist widows. Now, whether this complaint was well-founded or, or not, we, we don't know for sure. It may well have been true that the Hellenists were getting second-class service. The church leaders immediately set out to solve the problem. Now, I think it would have been very easy for the apostles, the, the disciples who had been hand-picked by Jesus, who had been ordained by Jesus as the duly appointed leaders of the church, and who were, after all, responsible for the salvation of all these thousands of people in the first place, I, I think it would be tempting for them to be a little bit put out by the grumbling. It would have been natural for them to be at least a bit offended at the suggestion that they were playing favorites. If I were in their position, I probably would have gotten into a debate about whether or not these accusations had any basis in reality or, or whether the Hellenists were creating a problem that, where there really wasn't one. The disciples didn't do any of that. Instead, the disciples realized and acknowledged to the entire church that they couldn't do it all. It isn't right for us to set aside proclamation of God's word in order to serve tables, they say. Now, I have to admit that when I read that response, it kind of comes across to me that they're saying, we can't be bothered with that. God has given us a big enough task already without you adding to our responsibilities. Whether they were actually saying that, I'm pretty sure they were probably thinking it. I can understand that sentiment. It's what I would be thinking too. 
It's what I do think when people complain to me about things that aren't my responsibility or try to lay on me more than what God has already given me. But here's what the apostles don't say. They don't say, that's not important. They don't say, we don't care about that. Instead, they gather together the whole community of believers and they say, choose seven people, well-respected and endowed by the Spirit with exceptional wisdom. We will put them in charge of this concern. The apostles acknowledged that this was an important matter and that someone needed to be put in charge of it. Someone faithful and trustworthy. The people chose Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. I like choosing readings with big words (laughs) for Julie. I don't know if I pronounce those right either, so... But, but, but the thing about those seven names, the thing about those seven names is all seven of them are Greek. Probably all seven of them were Hellenists. Certainly most of them were. Here's what that means. The original Aramaic-speaking disciples, hand-chosen by Jesus and the legitimate leaders of the church from the very beginning, far from being prideful or defensive, decided to share leadership even with those who were complaining against them so that the community of faith could be better served. And the Hellenist disciples, to their great credit, far from being armchair critics, actually stepped up and took ownership of meeting the needs that they saw being neglected. Have you ever had somebody say to you, we really ought to do this or that. And you say, well, great idea. Get it started. And they say, no, I I didn't mean me. I just think somebody should do it. Have you ever been in a church meeting where somebody says, I think we should, and they go on to share this great idea that they want somebody else to carry out? Give credit to the Hellenists. They didn't just complain about what wasn't being done. When told by the apostles, choose seven people among you to do it, they actually stepped up and did it. And verse 7 says, God's word continued to grow. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased significantly. Even large groups of priests embraced the faith. Jewish priests, people who had previously seen Jesus as a threat to their authority, people who had directly opposed the spreading of Christianity were converted to the faith. And the Bible credits their conversion to the fact that they saw a community of believers who shared and accepted responsibility for one another, no matter who they were or what background they came from. The community of faith continued to grow. People continued to receive the message of Jesus Christ entering into new life simply because the leaders were not prideful or defensive and the members were not armchair Christians. That's certainly one of the lessons from this story for the church today. 
There are going to be complaints from time to time. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. The complaints at the beginning of Acts 6 led to further growth of the church in the middle of Acts 6. The question is whether the entire faith community will pull together and meet all of the needs at hand or whether they'll just grumble and complain. That's not the end of the story, though. Acts 6 continues on, focusing in on Stephen. Stephen, the the first among the seven chosen to oversee the food distribution. He is the star of the rest of of chapter 6 and and a very long chapter 7. And none of it has to do with food distribution. That was the contentious issue presented at the beginning of chapter 6. That was what Stephen was chosen for. But that's not what made Stephen so important in the early development of the church. What made Stephen so important in the early development of the church is that he was the first Christian martyr. That's right. He was selected to pass out food to widows, and he ended up being killed for it. Who would have thought that being a waiter would be so dangerous? I mean... Impatient customers, low wages, lousy tips, long hours, those all come with the territory. But death? Death is a high price to pay for feeding people. When the disciples told the church to select seven people to be in charge of the food distribution, they specifically told them to pick men who were well-respected and endowed by the Spirit with exceptional wisdom. Why does someone need to be endowed by the Spirit with exceptional wisdom to be in charge of passing out food? Probably because the disciples realized that as soon as someone is put in a position of leadership in the service of God, that person is going to go through all kinds of tests and face all kinds of trials And they'd better be well-connected with God and well-grounded in their faith if they are going to pass those tests and stand strong in those trials. Verse 8 tells us, Stephen stood out among the believers for the way God's grace was at work in his life. And that he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Verse 9 begins, opposition arose. Doesn't it always? Opposition always arises against those who are doing God's work. But verse 10 says, of those who opposed Stephen, they couldn't resist the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Those who wanted to discredit Stephen, those who wanted to discredit the church because of Stephen, could not resist the wisdom that was given him by the Holy Spirit. Isn't it a good thing that the early church didn't look at the daily food distribution to widows as just handing out food? Isn't it a good thing that the early church insisted on servant leaders who were filled with the Holy Spirit, who relied on the wisdom of God, who were absolutely devoted to the way of Christ? When opposition arose against Stephen, as it always does against those who seek to serve God, he was able to stand strong in the faith 
because he wasn't just doing a task that needed to be done. He was witnessing to the truth of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is perhaps the second lesson of this chapter for us today. For those who would call ourselves Christians and who claim to have given our lives over to Christ, there is no task that we can consider insignificant. There is no role within the church that we can look at as just getting a job done. Everything that we do is done as a witness to the new life offered in Jesus Christ. Every time a challenge comes our way, how we respond to that challenge is a test of whether we will continue to witness to Christ or whether we will turn tail and hide. Stephen was not called to be a preacher. But he preached one of the longest sermons in the Bible. When he was falsely accused of blasphemy by the Jewish council, he didn't shy away or plead ignorance. He didn't say, hey guys, I'm just waiting tables here. What do I know of messiahs and temples and and eternal life? I'm just getting a job done. He responded to the council with boldness, recounting to them how they had continuously broken their promises to God and how God had continuously kept His promises to them, how God had set about to save them and how they were stubbornly rejecting God's messengers. Now, to our modern worldly way of thinking, Stephen might come across as a bit naive. Did he really think his words were going to change anyone's mind? If he had fought back with weapons rather than words, he might have been able to escape with his life. But then Jesus did say something about those who would seek to save their own lives, didn't he? And Jesus said something else about those who are willing to give their lives for his sake and for the sake of the gospel, didn't he? That's what we see played out in Stephen. Throughout all of Acts 6 and 7, Stephen perfectly emulates the way of Jesus. Like Jesus, false charges are brought against him. But he continues to speak words of truth. Like Jesus, he refuses to fight his opposition on their terms. He commends his spirit to Jesus, just as Jesus on the cross commended his spirit to the Father. Stephen asks God to forgive those who are killing him, reminding us of Jesus' words on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And like Jesus, Stephen is killed. And also, like Jesus, Stephen's death is not a shameful tragedy. His death is not a shameful tragedy because just as Jesus was raised to new life, Stephen too would be raised to eternal life. Eternal life in paradise. The end of chapter 6 says that even the Jewish council saw that Stephen's face was radiant just like an angel's. 
and at the end of chapter 7, just before he was killed, Stephen exclaimed, look, I can see heaven on display and the Son of Man standing at God's right side. Even before he left this earth, Stephen could already glimpse paradise. He knew with absolute certainty, the one in whom he believed. He trusted with complete abandon the one who was the source of true life and perfect freedom. That's the third lesson of Stephen's story for those of us today who seek to honor Christ. If we would taste paradise, if we would experience new and everlasting life, then we must be willing to give our all for Christ. Even when it means doing tasks that others see as menial. Even when it means sharing the gospel with those whose hearts are set against it. Even when it means forgiving rather than striking back. Even when it means offering our very lives so that others might see Christ living in us. Amen. I invite you to stand now for our closing hymn, which is in the hymnals at number 555. It is Forward Through the Ages. Let us sing together.
at the call divine. Not alone we conquer, not alone we fall. In each loss or triumph, lose or triumph Bound by God's far purpose in one living whole, move we on together to the shining goal. Forward through the ages in unbroken lines, move the spirits at the call divine. Go now in response to that divine call to live for God, to give your all to God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.